Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we do something a little bit different. We actually reached out to the listeners and asked for some questions for a smallmouth bass Q&A. You guys had some great questions and hopefully we have some decent answers. Hope you guys enjoy and uh, hope you're having a great week. We're back, everybody. Thanks uh, for listening last week, and uh, thanks again for interacting with us all week on social media. We've got kind of a special episode, and we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute. But first, uh, let's say hey to the guys. What uh, What's going on with you, Rob? Uh, not a whole lot. Just uh, actually had a pretty busy week guiding this week. Um, not chasing a lot of largemouth, but catching some big stripers. It was a lot of fun, so... That's uh, that's nice, and looks like next week's going to be fairly busy also. So, uh, just looking forward to that. And it's 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 an odd time to be busy, but uh, I'll take it after our slow spring. So, a little that's pent about up it. demand. What's that? Hopefully, it's just a little pent up demand, right? It's exactly what it is. I mean, pretty much everybody that uh, that I take out, you know, they're just. <clears throat> they're just bored. They're sitting around and they want to go do something. So why not go fishing? So it's, uh, dude, had a, had a lot of cool customers, a lot of, uh, a lot of unique people, uh, you know, that I probably wouldn't have met otherwise. So it's been fun. Nice, man. Dude, COVID is crazy like that. Like my wife and I were talking last night, how I feel like there are certain industries that are just going to, are, are getting schlacked and going to continue to get schlacked by COVID. And then there are other industries that are just like gangbusters, dude. And like, it's cool to hear you. The fishing guide stuff's coming up. I've read and heard people asking about, you know, why are the, the shelves at Bass Pro and Cabela's having a hard time restocking? And man, I was at an RV store, like just a supply store yesterday, you know, because we got ourselves a little gently used motorhome. And uh, dude, that store was like, I'm sure they were exceeding what they were allowed to as far as capacity is concerned with all the new rules. I mean, their their shelves were bare too. So it's like, apparently, you know, it's like, it's it's given a big shakeup. I think people who weren't as interested in the outdoors, all of a sudden are like, well, everything's closed. So, you know, here's what we got. So it's kind of cool. It's really cool as an outdoor person all along. It's like, nice, about time. People recognize what's going on. It's because everybody bought RV toilet paper. Now they need the RV to go with their toilet paper. <laughs> Dad, they, they even have a limit on that. I was like, oh, get out of here with your toilet paper limits. <laughs> it's funny, dude. It's I, I can't wait to see all the numbers. I've heard, like, you know, so you'll be talking to a random guy, and he'll say, oh, you know, fish license sales in my state are up 50% yeah. or 100%. It's incredible to hear. So that is good. I know. A big reason for the empty shelves would be uh, just having supply chain issues. You know, supply chain issues. Yeah, very frustrating to to hear what these fishing industry companies are going through because their demand has never been higher, and they could be (laughs) having for years. But it's just so hard to get the product out. Um, It's 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 super frustrating. It's like the most ironic thing ever, right? Like demand through the roof, and you have no supply chain (laughs) stability. It's crazy, but it, you know, it's. I guess it's better than no demand. It's better than being yeah. in the industry or something like that. At least you know there there's still people that are finding ways to figure out how to get the product and get right. it out there. Uh, at least people are wanting to buy it, and it's good for our sport. You know, it's. I've heard uh, some people complaining about how busy the lakes are. <laughs> yeah, think about a lot of these like. Uh, just like smaller bodies of water that families go to, like where people are going up in the summer camping and shore fishing for trout and stuff, they've got to be. Oh, 
Oh, just wall to wall, right? Tree chop tall. <laughs> yeah, I got a I got a buddy buddy of mine told me that uh, he was wanting to put a pool in his backyard because they weren't going to go on vacation. He couldn't get an appointment until October. Insane. So that's just, I mean, that's another thing that's going, you know, people are just buying them because they're not going on their family vacation. So they're going to throw the pool in the backyard. I mean, yeah. it, it's just, it's amazing. I mean, you can't, you can't even buy a bicycle, like an average Dude. bicycle at a bike shop. They're gone. Uh, yeah. The disruption know. is just random and crazy. I mean, the disruption I think is widespread. It's just random. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of RVs, Nick, like, Let's talk about your trip, dude. I talked yeah. to you a couple times on your way back. That was, uh... Dude, well, I, I, I would maybe in a different audience complain a little bit of how long that trip felt. But knowing that Josh logs like 400,000 miles a year behind the steering wheel of his truck, I don't think he'll have much sympathy for me. But uh, it was it was a great long drive. I, I caught a red eye flight on Tuesday night to Orlando and uh, woke up couple hours later in Miami and then hopped a, a little flight over to Orlando and then took a taxi to the RV dealership and began my voyage westward at about 1 p.m. Orlando time. And I just, I drove her through, man. It was 2,168 miles to my driveway and I uh, made it in three days. Hey, how about the uh, Orlando drivers you dealt with, just like we talked about about a month ago? Dude, I know we're going to have Florida, like, smoking and burning all of our reviews, so we got to try and gently <laughs> tread. But, dude, oh, they had no they, patience. Well, they know how to drive. They're probably frustrated by these people also. They're probably, yeah, yeah. Dude, it, it took literally seven miles and, and 11 minutes before I had people honking and swerving around me. And, you know, it's a 28-footer, so it's not like a giant Class A, you know, bus that I'm driving. But it's also not a Fiat Topolino. It's It's got some length and some width to it. And right out of the gate, man, it's – I was telling you guys, the steering wheel feels like it's connected to a jar of Hellman's mayonnaise. Like the Ford emblem, the Ford emblem is not horizontal. It's at like a 45 degree angle. And that's when it's tracking straight to so do this thing has just play in it. And oh my God, a freaking Floridian rainstorm of like regular proportions, which is our like extreme monsoon instantly hit me. So I'm trying to navigate this mayonnaise jar through like an inch of standing water on the interstate at 60 miles an hour. People had no time for my slow driving. <laughs> Dude, they'll, and they'll fly by you they'll fly by you driving an old rickety car themselves through this monster yeah, right your headlights off <laughs> <laughs> dude what are auto insurance rates in florida like they gotta be expensive because there is they're just they're just going for it man they're like ricky bobby if you ain't first you're last and they're gonna do everything they can to get around you but new orleans too man when i blew through new orleans I had another freaking Noah's Ark experience where the rain was just insane. And uh, they were much more calm. That was my chance for revenge, dude. Me and all the semi-trucks were still going 55, 60. And everyone else was like, they had their, they were 10 miles an hour and they had oars out practically trying to row through I-10. It was a nut. It was nuts. That's gnarly. Well, dude, uh, yeah. So what, what are your plans with this thing? Yeah, so we're we're in the process of deep cleaning it. You know, it was an ex-rental unit, so she's got she's got some funk and some patina. 
the first thing I did, dude, I bought it and I went to a Walmart somewhere and I was not the first thing. It was in like the panhandle of Florida, but I bought some sheets for the bed because the bed was looking like it probably needed a layer of new sheets before I could clean it properly. So she needs a good thorough cleaning. And then uh, we're going to point it north, man. I think we're, we're heading to Wyoming and uh, going to go rip some lips on some trout, hopefully. No kidding. That's cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I said I'm going to be a second grade teacher again, it looks like. We might as well change the classroom to somewhere more fun. Did you get the dump figured out? <laughs> dude, what a oh, what a rodeo. I don't think Josh even knew about that. I was I was calling Rob at like 9 p.m. from Tucson. Like, dude, what do I do? Like, this is not going well. Yeah, thank <laughs> Dude, so I'm thinking, all right, like three days and I was making sure I was number one business only. I was, I was not, I was not prepared for the number twos yet. I felt like I needed to baby step into this, but it was full enough that I was ready to dump. And, uh, so he I get bought to, it with a, he, like they sold it to him with needing to be dumped. I don't get that. <laughs> no way. So, it, so gnarly. So I think the tank is reading right. I think maybe there was just a couple of, you know, there were still a couple of Browns in the Super Bowl that didn't get, yeah. <laughs> so, dude, nothing like, you know, no pressure, no diamonds, right? You know how a diamond comes from a piece of coal that's been pressured. So I go to the truck stop and I pay my $10 dump fee. And by the time I get back out to the motorhome, there's like three people behind me waiting. So nothing like doing something the first time with an audience of impatient people. And uh, I'm floundering around, dude. And the gate valve, for whatever reason, let a few of those Browns passed into the actual, like, you know, release portion of it. And as soon as I cracked that, dude, somebody else's Browns um, oh. got got in my personal zone, if you know what I'm saying. And it kind of threw me off my game. And then I was flustered. And this guy who was almost homeless, except for his old Dodge Ram with a camper on it, just had enough, dude. He starts yelling at me from behind me cursing at me dude he's like you know gd you're taking forever he's like and then i saw you touch your you know shi pipe on the water filter what the hell are you doing he's just just berating me dude and i feel like a freaking seven-year-old just getting yelled at by his dad so i finally like i took a breath and looked at i was like this is the first time i've done this come over here and help me out dude he got back in his truck closed his door rolled his window up and that was it i'm like oh okay yeah so it was just a rodeo dude i'd been i'd slept like four hours and three days and i'm trying to navigate all of that craziness and the old homeless harry over there was just adding a little bit of a little bit of something something but we survived yeah. i touched a dookie i feel like i've been indoctrinated into <laughs> rv life so I'm, I'm ready man i'm a card carrying rver now that's single-handedly one of the main reasons I'm out of RVs is the dumping the honey, man. The dookie you know, touching. nothing worse. <laughs> yeah, it's just like like it just ruins the end of a good trip, right? So you drop the you drop the wife and the kids off at the house, and then your job is to go dump the honey. You yeah. Know? But, <laughs> you got to really love the people with you. I've got a classic story. We we used to. The dump we used it was at a gas station, and you'd have obviously you'd have to wait in line. And there's this guy with this giant diesel pusher, <laughs> and he's taken forever. Like I, I'm right behind him, and he's just—it's terrible. Like they're it's going badly. <laughs> yep. And then all of a sudden, I realize like they're not getting out of the the unit anymore. They're they're done dumping. They're complete, but they're not moving. <laughs> so I get out of my vehicle and I go look in the front window. 
dude, they just got done dumping. They're sitting inside the driver's seat eating a sandwich. <laughs> oh. Is that the most disgusting thing you could ever imagine doing? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So oh. anyhow. That Dude, was, uh, I, I felt like I needed to wash myself with bleach. I was ready oh, to just go and take a bleach shower after that, dude. Like, I felt yeah. so violated. Someone else's. Like, if it was my family's, that's pretty bad. But, I've, you know, I've had those diapers in my day where, like, somehow it gets all the way up their back to their hair, and I've had to figure those out. But at least that was my own offspring. Dude, I didn't even have the pleasure of meeting whoever's dookie that was hitting me. I was like, oh. <laughs> all right. Enough poo dumping. Let's go on. <laughs> yeah, shoot, man. Other brown things like smallmouth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All like. Josh, are you uh, are you still riding on cloud nine, man? You had a pretty legit week. Uh, yeah, awesome. for sure. And so it was, it, you know, I ended up third at Sturgeon Bay. It was our stage five of MLF Bass Pro Tour, and uh, it was a good week. Uh, I know a lot of the listeners probably watched the tournament just because it was exciting action, man. I mean, so many big fish were caught. It was back and forth all week, and uh, I actually had a pretty legitimate shot to win, and I just just kind of hit a wall with like in that final period, and Justin Lucas was gaining steam, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the podcast, and he pulled away with the win. So actually, the top three were all or all you know I was third. I'm I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. Mark Daniels second. He's been on the podcast. Justin was first. So that's awesome. Uh, that's pretty sweet. And we need to get him on because he's our boy, and he has got some good stuff to talk about too. So say that again. You kind of you kind of broke up there. I was gonna say fourth was Jordan, and I think he's yes. next. Got to get we've got to get him. Um, sure. But overall, it was a good week. It was it was a really fun week, and um, caught caught tons of big smallmouth, all drop shotting, all drop shotting a flatworm from Berkeley, which I you know I know a lot of people have heard about. They're gonna be hard to buy for the next few months just because that's what dominated this event and it's the time of year where everyone's using them but uh rob had a good idea he said hey let's let's write a post on instagram and get some questions about smallmouth fishing and just it's a super appropriate time to talk smallmouth and uh we'll answer them on here uh some of the questions well they were all really good questions honestly we got about i don't know if we had about 20 questions a couple of them were kind of repeats of each other so we've got about 15 of them highlighted and uh, we're just going to run through them. And uh, uh, some some might be quick answers, some might be long answers, some we might not have answers for. But like I said in the post, even if we don't know the answer, we're going to act like we do. You bet. Right? Hey, Josh, can I ask you a question to start off? No. Really? So, so I watched a lot of the, the live, and it's, it's very difficult to tell where guys are, especially on a lake, a body of water like that. I mean, you're essentially Lake Michigan, right? So it's... It appeared as if you were out in bigger waves than majority of the guys. Um, a lot of the guys were in calmer water, maybe back further in bays. Um, is that the is that how it was, or did, did it just appear like you were further out in the main lake? It it probably was, man. And so the playing field, I think I think you're probably right because I didn't see many boats where I was fishing, okay. and. Um, the body of water is Sturgeon Bay, but we were allowed to fish in Lake Michigan if we wanted. The Sturgeon Bay is about a hundred mile wide bay. It's part of Lake Michigan. Uh, I was in Sturgeon Bay, but I was way offshore. So it probably looked like I was in the middle of Lake Michigan. I was in the middle of Sturgeon Bay, but okay. a lot of guys were fishing more shoreline related cover. Even if it was 
100 yards off the shore, maybe they were fishing a big flat or something. Uh, this fish are post-spawn right now in early summer patterns. They, they probably spawned a month ago. So a lot of them hadn't made their migration out deep yet. I, the ones I was catching had, but it, not the whole, you know, not the whole lake. That hadn't happened across the whole lake. So you had probably more dudes fishing up close to the bank. And in practice, I saw some of that. You know, I had, I told Nick, there was one place on Lake Michigan, you know, I practiced a bunch of different areas for the wind because you're out there for a whole week, you're going to get wind coming from all directions. So you've got to be able to, you know, be prepared if it's going to blow 20 miles an hour in a certain direction and there's eight foot waves crashing into an area, you can't fish there. But I, I found a spot on Lake Michigan that was so good. It was, it was so much fun. It was so good. It was like a shallow, rocky kind of flat point and just about halfway out of a bay. And I never got to go fish it in the tournament, you know, but I, I could see a lot of guys fishing that type of stuff, you know, where there was still kind of in the bays, kind of their post-spawn fish, they're starting to feed, but they're, they haven't swam five miles out into the lake yet to start chasing bait fish. So do, do you feel like if the tournament was a month later, there would be more fish out there? Totally dude. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, you know, and I'm not like an expert on seasonal movements on great lakes, but that would be my definite assumption for sure. You know, the fish I was catching had were probably some of the first to spawn and they'd made it out there. They'd swam across a bunch of open water to get to these offshore areas. And a lot of them were even like in open water chasing alewives, which are the bait fish. And I would intercept them when they would get pushed by wind or whatever up onto a point or something. And that was kind of my what I was targeting because they were schooled up. Instead of catching one here, one there, one here, one there, fishing boulders or something, uh, I saw it in practice a little bit where if you could run into this, you could catch them on every drop and catch 20 or 30 pounds of fish in like 10 minutes and um, or, you know, 15 minutes. And that that's what I was looking for. And it, I'd go like sometimes 45 minutes without a bite and then it would just be like, fish 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 and then and then they'd move on you know but because they're, they're just they're nomadic and just swimming with the bait huh yeah more like kind of like striper fishing i guess huh yeah yeah very similar in that dude for sure and, and you know you and need, go ahead your garmin uh uh panoptics or your live scope is that what it is yeah what live, that was everything dude because they were moving so much so you'd be on like a big deep flat plane or something like that and um yeah, you'd catch a couple, and then they'd, they'd move 50 feet or 100 feet, and, and you'd have to go catch a couple over there. But, yeah, and, and in those big waves and stuff, man, like your boat was moving a lot. So <laughs> dude, if I wasn't seeing a fish, I wasn't even casting. You know what I mean? A lot of times I just had my drop shot weight in my hand, and I had the trolling motor on a higher speed, and I was just buzzing around, looking, panning around, looking at live scope, and then you'd see them. And it was almost like you never had a wasted cast because – Every single time your bait hit the water, it was going down into an area with fish. And if you weren't seeing that, you were moving. Hmm. Interesting. Very cool. That had to be hard to move in those big waves, huh? Yeah, it just it makes everything go a little slower, right? Like we've all fished right. in waves like that. And, uh, you know, if it's glass, it's a double-edged sword. Because if it's glass calm, like you can move around really easily and do things more efficiently. But the fish could go anywhere because there's likely no current. But when you had that current, that heavy wind, the fish were much more predictable. 
you know, you would know exactly where to go and drop your bait and catch a fish instantly as soon as it hit the bottom. But the whole process of fighting that fishing in those waves, your boat getting blown, you know, forever and, and you know, having to reset yourself up. Like one of the, the afternoons in the knockout round, the biggest school, the best school I found all week was was loaded up right where they should have been. But it was taking me almost 10 minutes to catch a fish because by the time you did the <laughs> process. You know, you'd, you'd drop down, catch a four-pounder. But yeah, the, the whole process, by the time you get set up, lined up again, be able to drop back down in those waves, man, it was 10 minutes. It was, it was pretty crazy. Wow. Were you, able to, were you able to spot lock? It didn't seem like you guys did that a lot. It seems like you were always jumping back up on there and getting back to them. Yeah, it was just the waves were so gnarly that it was almost pointless to do that because okay. your motor would be on a hundred constantly and it would be you know it was just it you could spot lock in two three footers but you get up into four foot waves and stuff it, it's just it, your troll motor's out of the water half the time like it was just right too you, hard to do that you need your outboard to be the spot lock <laughs> yeah you need your outlock outboard to be the spot lock <laughs> it's exactly yeah. What it <laughs> yeah yeah but it was yeah. all right yeah. I, dude i love those pictures when you fish in big waves i saw it on your instagram where like it looks like your boat is like already sunk and you're just standing on water because it's so big from the perspective of the photographer that you can't even see your boat it's just gone <laughs> he did have it was garrick dixon he had a shot of all you saw was our basically our torsos and him and i've heard some so dude we were like the hotel we were staying at cliff pace was staying there i want to get him on to tell these stories but the first great lakes tournament he ever fished uh he it was at lake erie out of buffalo which is like it's actually known as kind of the best most notorious place to catch big smallmouth in the country it's 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 uh called dunkirk is the little harbor town that they go out of and it's the mecca but there's like no protection from wind and it's hard to hold a tournament there because you're at some point half the half the days of the week you're gonna you're gonna have eight footers you know but dude again things were the wild west back back in the day even if you go back 12 years like they didn't cancel tournament days for wind or anything <laughs> they just rob's ran. era <laughs> rob's thinks we're all sissies now dude because we have ways <laughs> and, and we don't we have days where we don't fish and stuff but like you know they never canceled a day did they not no not very often but I, I mean i didn't fish the gray lakes either i fished mead and pal i mean there's some big Every water there but but not not great lake stuff i mean i don't know i mean it's i think it's pretty cool how you guys are able to do you know weather delays and stuff it's just going to eliminate guys from getting killed from lightning and stuff like that so right uh, hear that i have no, thankful, I have no problem with that that's you know? cool that's cool i'm thank I'm, I'm thankful for that man uh you guys but, also have because i mean we've talked about it before there's always that crazy guy that just doesn't care and he's going to fish right through the lightning you know so you're at a huge disadvantage if you're if that's the situation so at least you guys can call a you know weather delay and keep everyone safe so that the lightning deal we talked about a couple episodes ago it's yeah. it's real deal it's very serious uh so so cliff was just talking he you know there's this <laughs> day of the week flowing right in and and he's like, well, surely they're not going to send us out in this. And all of a sudden, you know, boat one, boat two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he, he says, he, you know, the first wave he crests over, he comes up over this wave and, or, you know, he, whatever, he's boat, whatever he is, he's got boats in front of him. But he's noticing, like, 
the boats were disappearing. Like they'd come out of the harbor <laughs> over the first wave. And then because the waves were so big, dude, you couldn't like the, the boats are bobbing up and down like corks in this, but like they just vanish. Dude. They'd like, go to the trough and they were gone. Like trough and you wouldn't see them. Like you'd have to crest over waves at the exact same time to see another boat. And like he said, you'd be hitting them running sometimes through the troughs and you wouldn't even see them. He's like, you're fishing a reef and you're just drifting in these waves, you know. And he said they were easier to run because they were so spaced apart, which I get that for sure. But it was eerie just like losing visuals of everything in, in the Ugh. trough. Ugh. Uh, he was saying like the fishing was so good, you know, uh, these fish, they're still pretty untouched, but no one was really going out and hitting them back then. And uh, like he would be fighting a fish and your boat would go down in a trough <laughs> and the fish would be in the water. in the, <laughs> so the You just land on your deck. <laughs> There were a couple of times where, you know, dude, there's no nets allowed or anything. So the fish would be up above me, get it real close, and he would just snatch it in, dude. Like, it would be <laughs> on the edge of the wave, and he'd just kind of pull, and it would just drop out of the wave into his boat. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's awesome. That's hey, Josh, you're you're breaking up a lot. Do you think we really? can restart? Or Is it that bad? Let me just do? take the video off. That stinks. Let me, let me try to just take the video off here. I hate to have to restart. All right. Is that any better? How do I sound yeah, now? It sounds good so far, so maybe we'll just go well, with that. Oh, yeah, let me know if we uh, if we start more. But, yeah, thanks for hanging in on this, guys, uh, especially the listeners. But let's start with the questions, guys. And I'm going to read through some of these. And, uh, yeah, you guys, please add whatever you have to add um, as we go. But the first – and I don't know if we'll get through all these, but – this is Jacob Fish. He said, do smallies bite better under sun or overcast? Uh, mm. Let's start with you guys and your experience and what your initial thoughts are. My my take on that is I, I think smallmouth in different parts of the country are different. I think smallmouth that I've fished for on Apache and Roosevelt, our local lakes here, uh, they like cloud cover and rain, nasty, stormy weather. Um but I know that's extremely different in other parts of the country. Right on. Have you seen the same Nick around here? They, you, you catch them better, uh, you know, on the, uh, on the uh, nasty days. Yeah. I think I would echo Rob's sentiment. I can remember um, one day where it was flat calm at Apache and my brother was actually with me and he was fly fishing, you know, cause he never picks up a conventional uh, rod. And dude, he actually put a little clinic on, he probably caught, 12 or 15 smallmouth with his fly rod on a flat glass calm day. But ultimately, yeah, I think so. I think that is more advantageous to us out here locally anyways. Right on. I, I agree with you guys, uh, but it is, it, Rob mentioned how regional it is in my experience. And this is just experience. These are not facts. These are just our, our thoughts and experiences, but um, I've, there's like, and this is very, a very non-scientific answer, but this is a complete, assumption that there are different i guess we, we call them different trains of smallmouth you know myself and my buddies i travel with and whether or not they are actually different strains i don't know but um there are regions where they act one way and regions where they act another way and, and i can just off the top of my head the regions that the fish like that smallmouth like nasty weather that i've fished would definitely be down here in the southwest maybe with the exception of havasu i know that havasu they like to feed by sight a lot they like the sunny days, but 
on like Roosevelt and Apache for sure. They like it nasty. If you if you go to um, there aren't a million Somalis in this region, but there are some big ones. If you go to like around Lake Eufaula, Oklahoma, Texoma, any of those Texas, Oklahoma lakes that have smallmouth, they like it nasty. The Ozarks, they like it nasty for sure on Table Rock and Bull Shoals. If you get low light conditions early in the morning or cloudy, nasty day, that's when I've always caught my biggest Smallies on the uh, Ozarks for sure. But then you go up north to the Great Lakes where they're, you know, they're eating off the bottom a lot. Um, even, you know, uh, lakes like, uh, well, all the Great Lakes, Erie, Lake Ontario, St. Lawrence River part of it, where we were just at. But um, even like St. Clair, they, they seem to really like the sun because uh, they're such sight feeders. And um, so if you're fishing up north, I think sun down south, more, more or less, it's uh, they like the clouds and, and the wind. I wonder what causes that, you know, it's obviously genetically maybe somewhat different and that's what accounts for it. You know, too, maybe it's just like you're saying, it sounds so much uh, um, regionally based and like the actual features of the body of water that they live in. It's just crazy how species of animals like that can just evolve and tune in to their specific surroundings. It's uh, It's so cool, man. I dig that. That's exactly what it is, and it probably has a lot to do with their forage, too. And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. goby eaters, the Great Lakes, a lot of them are goby eaters, and they like it calm. I don't know if they could just move around and see things better in the rocks when it's like that or what, but uh, calm and sunny is, is a good thing on northern smallmouth for sure. But, man, it's nothing like having a nasty day down south in the central part of the country and be able to burn a spinnerbait or or uh, root a crankbait through the bottom or something like that and get and get hammered. So, yeah. We'll there it's kind of different everywhere but uh, i know jacob is from the ozarks i would say over there for sure they like it nasty the fish like it nasty the uh, smallmouth do mm-hmm. next one is from our buddy uh bailey at serious he's got his own podcast serious angler podcast um great show when do you opt to throw a spy bait versus a small swim bait for a smallmouth and that's a pretty good question because they're similar like they're similar horizontal baits going through the water column Mm-hmm. But they're different as far as like when they're both super effective. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, like the spy bait super effective when fishing is just tough. Like when you are under conditions where the fish are highly pressured, um, it works on, on complete slick, calm days. It works. It works when other baits don't work. Good bait is just such a good way to cover water. And it works when the wind's ripping. It works when they're... It, it, you can fish it a lot faster. I would say, you know, if the fish are more active, I'm throwing that swim bait. Do you guys agree? Yeah, and also if you're uh, if you're search, searching for fish, the swim bait may be better over the spy bait, and the spy bait after you've located fish may be better. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to put it, dude. It's it's hard to search for the spy bait because you reel it so slow, but there's no better way to just get fish. But you need to know where they're at. you got to throw yep. it in where you think the fish are. Mm-hmm. right on well that's an easy one that's good um all right jesse parks why is the flatworm so effective up north uh and I, I mean i'll take that one just because i was just up there throwing it eh. dude this is coming from a non-biologist standpoint but smallmouth in general seem to just have something crazy about scent scent is such a big deal to smallmouth and it's a big deal to largemouth too we've talked about it but it's a bigger deal to smallies that flatworm, it's 
obviously got the max scent and that's a really big deal whether it's gulp or max scent i know the non non-berkeley guys buy gulp and soak their non-berkeley baits in gulp that's <laughs> what's going small about fishing i'm telling you it happens and shots max, fired shots fired it, they're shaking their head they're nodding going yeah <laughs> uh, but the max sand is built into the worm man and it never comes off like it's just throughout the entire worm and it's it's that short stubby profile you know that smallmouth love short stubby baits you guys agree with that they they don't like a big yep. long worm they like a short stubby bait that thing just checks all the boxes for smallmouth in general and a largemouth lead it too but just a killer on smallmouth it was uh, it, it was crazy not to interrupt you josh but it no. was crazy watching all the berkeley pros like literally on the top of the board majority every day you know all the berkeley guys up on the top it was pretty impressive yeah it's just that's the the biggest example i've ever seen of it there's plenty of tournaments where none of us are at the top you know but it was a a clear-cut advantage to be throwing that bait this week so that was cool man i mean that's no sales pitch it's the truth and you could look at the results just like you're saying and it might be different next time but that's what happened this week how many guys were putting flatworms in their other bags do you think it's <laughs> probably so <laughs> every time i go up there i get calls from guys i'd never hear from because they want they want flatworms before we fish and they know i've got them you're uh, a dealer you got them on the on the side you meet in like dimly lit parking lots behind like sporting goods stores and you <laughs> you dole them out <laughs> don't let me see you yeah that's right per flatworm right we gotta we got we, there's no bulk discounts it's per worm <laughs> per worm yeah, and I'm only selling selling the uh, the colors I don't throw. Exactly. Yeah, you're throwing like white and short, whatever ugly, nasty stuff doesn't work. <laughs> uh, okay, here's one. Uh, Travis G, 1988. We talked to Travis all the time. You guys are gonna laugh at this because I think he was making a little joke here. But I don't know if his question was serious or not. But he 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 uh, had a funny question at the end. He goes, "Why were the smallmouth in the lily pads and the largemouth?" On, on the rocky bottom areas last week were the fish confused <laughs> <laughs> hey man everyone gets a little curious from time to time what do yeah. you what do you think about this is it is it a spawning thing for the smallmouth spawning did a wave of fish move up to spawn i i don't know i don't fish lily pads that's a good question. I mean, yeah, we've, we've seen smallmouth get up in the grass, but it's very possible that it was uh, cool enough and the smallmouth had invaded the largemouth water to spawn. That's very possible. Uh, that's probably better than any guess I've got, dude. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately it is fishing. You just never know. Fishing is fishing, and sometimes they will fool you. But uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking he might have been making a joke because he said we're the fish confused. And we talked about last podcast how well, we don't know what's going on. We just say the fish are <laughs> yeah he knows that he was like i know that excuse i use that all the time He's, he knows what's up <laughs> we'll go with that the fish were confused or they were spawning travis Dude, they well and don't we all get a little confused when we get into the spawn mode very true you don't <laughs> put your hand, <laughs> hand in glove bro it's a, it totally makes sense we figured it out <laughs> okay uh cherokee lake tennessee do you ever drop shot at night I've where's that guy from <laughs> this is guy from florida right exactly I mean, he's, a great he's a great guy uh you ever drop shot at night he's mentioning how he's had less success drop shotting at night than during the day uh and he's got a two-part question but we'll start with this one 
a hundred percent. And I know you guys are going to agree. You guys love to drop shot at night, don't you? Oh, Josh. Um, go ahead. Nick. Okay. I was going to joke, Josh, remember early on in our blossoming friendship, we went night fishing with another guy. I can't remember his name at Roosevelt. Do you remember that? It was almost probably eight or nine years ago. Yeah, you lost an absolutely gigantic fish on a drop shot. Dude, dude it, it, like I was on a drop shot. I remember I cast out, and I was—I I don't know much now, but I knew even less back then. And uh, dude, I remember coming tight on that fish, and it just instantly started pulling drag on my reel, just bzzz, pulling drag. Dude, do you remember what I did? Oh, he tightened. He <laughs> a giant fish on a spot where we had been catching giant fish, and. Uh, <laughs> feeling drag and he tightened his drag and it snapped it just popped it right off dude like well this is no good why is this fish taking drag like clearly he needs to come to the boat now (laughs) dude and it was on a like i you know again i was just an idiot and uh it was on on a small little black robo worm so yeah i I definitely like me some drop shotting at night i i'd prefer it if i knew how to manage a drag and fight a big fish a little bit better than that but i got plenty of confidence in that I know, I know, Rob, you're going to have a different opinion, and I, I agree with Nick, so I'll, I'll let you go first. Yeah, my opinion, I mean, I would throw anything but a drop shot. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't throw a Carolina rig or a drop shot. I want my weight where my bait is at night. It helps them find it in my mind. Yeah. I would throw a Texas rig, a jig, uh, a Westy worm, um, you know, anything that's combined. I, I don't know. I just I – ha- I have a – I know they're effective. I know people catch them on it, but it's not what I would throw. That's cool. And those are valid points, dude. That's valid reason. You know, I, I don't know. I, I do a lot of Texas rigging at night, but I've just had so much success drop shotting at night, but I do, I do it differently. You know, I, I go, I'm a short leader guy to begin with, but I always short my leader more. I use about a six inch leader when I'm drop shotting at night and I use a little bit bulkier worm. I'll go up to something like a seven inch worm instead of a four or a six. And um, a worm that's got, that's maybe a little thicker profile, always throwing a dark color, but I, I love drop shotting at night. Um, you know, at nighttime, I'm either like Texas rigging a big power worm or drop shotting. Those are my, uh, my favorite ways to catch them, but I get what you're saying, dude. So that's interesting. And you've got a lot of bass in the dark. It's been a long time though. I like to fish when it's daylight now. <laughs> you're so soft. I am soft. I like sleep. <laughs> Saves it all for the three months when he's hunting, dude. Yeah, right. yeah. He puts it all out on, all out there when he's hunting. Poor little Bambi. <laughs> okay, uh, that's a good one. Though. Okay, and then second part. Also, how do you decide whether to fish a flat-nosed minnow or a flat worm? Both max scent baits. To me, that one, it's just a toss-up, honestly, man. I, I love – the flat-nosed minnow came out first. So that was like our first max scent bait to really be able to use. And it's a shad profile or a bait fish profile. It works really well. Flatworm. I mean, dude, it's, you can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong either way. I used a flatworm all of this week. I think the flatworm's probably, it's probably my favorite. It's a little more versatile. Like you could use that flatworm on a uh, Ned rig or something like that too. So it's maybe a little more versatile, but I, I still love the flat nose minnow. They're both about four inches long. I think the Flat worms like three point seven five or three and a half, but they're both very similar. What'd you use on the St. Lawrence? I used you, the flat worm gulp minnow. Um okay. and the flat okay. minnow, but I mixed it up, dude. I definitely mixed it up there for sure. Um 
as long as it was a Berkeley bait with with that scent, Gulp or Max scent. And that's kind of my opinion overall. Like if you're and if you're struggling to find flatworms right now and you want to go smallmouth fishing, you can totally buy platinum minnows if they're available. I don't know if they're sold out too, and, and go have a lot of success. You talk so much about scent, dude, and I think I know the answer to this, but just clarify it. The the scent is after the fish has ate it, they hold on to it longer, or it's actually like prior to biting it, they can it brings them in. Get what's the scoop scientifically on that? Well, scientifically, you're talking to the wrong guy. Oh, I thought you were a scientist. <laughs> Don't you wear a white jacket? Uh, I know some people at Berkeley that can answer that better than me, but, I, dude, I I would have told you in the past that if, if they hold on to it longer, but, dude, it's got to have some type of triggering mechanism to see that many guys get that many more bites. Like, yeah. it's got to have some other type of triggering factor. I'm going to say both, dude, and that's... They just, they love that smell of dirty laundry. They just like swim right over to it. They're like, there it is. I want that. I, I don't know, dude, but they just, they, they seem to bite it. Not only hold on to it better, but they seem to bite it better, but it's a good question. And dude, who would ask me five years ago, I'd say, ah, scent just makes them hold on longer. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure on that, but, uh, it's weird, dude. And, and it's, it's such a big deal with those smallies. Uh, let's see here. Here's a really interesting one. I don't know if I've got a for sure answer, but I've got some thoughts. Okay, this is from East George 899. When a, a northern fishery has both large and smallmouth bass present and they use the same cover, what is the best way to single out and target smallmouth? It's hmm. a good question, right? Like yeah, the fact yeah. that the cover makes it gnarly. And my first thought was like, well, you can't go wrong. Just catch them both, right? But right. you guys have any thoughts or suggestions first on like how you might be able to trigger a smallmouth over a largemouth if they want to catch a smallmouth? Huh. I'm gonna let Rob sound dumb first. <laughs> as soon as a largemouth jumps, put slack in your line. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> okay, that's pretty good. I'll sound dumber than you. <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't know, man. Like, I, I is it possible, dude? I don't know. My th- okay, here's here, and this is just I don't think you can go wrong either way, but just like looking purely at smallmouth and what smallmouth love, like it. My first thought would be like maybe try a brighter color, like, okay. like a solid chartreuse bait or something that just like that really appeals to smallmouth. And of course, a largemouth will still mow over a chartreuse spinner bait, but sometimes those smallmouths just get angry at bright colors and stuff and you can trigger smallmouth by doing that or even potentially like fish your bait a little bit faster like burn it through and just try to try to feed to those triggers that smallmouth just can't they're just like wired to mm-hmm. like me i'm wired to eat a piece of pizza smallmouth is triggered and wired to absolutely annihilate uh a char- chartreuse burned over its head what do you, you guys think that there's something to that yeah i agree with that that's the best i can do i was too scared to say anything so i'll i'll, I'll roll with that who knows that could be like there could be it's no no way to do it uh yeah it's and they use the same cover though there must be some type of, it might be must be the predominant cover and forage in the lake in that whatever the areas you're fishing yeah uh, um, all right here's one from mike gooding did you have any opportunities at sturgeon bay to throw the spy bait uh yeah, uh, not so much because it was windy every day I fished, and I really like to throw that thing when it's calm. 
And the fish, you can catch them in the wind on it, but the style of fishing I was doing, I just wasn't in the best areas of the lake to do it. Now, if I was one of those guys that was casting up on the shallow flats and stuff, I would have done it in practice. I caught them on it. But uh, where I was fishing way out offshore in those big waves, it was it was prime drop shot water. Uh, okay, here's one from our buddy Alex AZ Acres. Well, what are some of your favorite spots for smallmouth in Arizona? We can all tackle this one. Let's uh, let's start with Rob. What uh, what are your favorites, dude? My new favorite is Parker Strip. Um, used to be. I, I used to really like Apache. Uh, Apache's went through some pretty tough times. Uh, I know Roosevelt this year pumped out a few smallies, but it's definitely not my favorite smallmouth fishery just because they're far and few between. Um, so I'd have to go with Parker Strip, Havasu. Uh, another really, really good place is uh, Lake Powell. Lake Powell's got huge numbers of smallies. Yeah. No one talks about Powell much anymore. Nick, did you ever get on the smallies at Powell? I, definitely the little rats. I don't think I, I'm sure the biggest smallie we caught was under four pounds in our long standing, I say that sarcastically, uh, era there. But uh, we caught a couple that were that big. But uh, most of them, dude, that lake has just tons. And I, it was easy for us to find all of those little smallmouth. But I know if you get into the right areas, yeah, Powell is definitely, when Powell is healthy, I think Powell is just a place where you can go and just catch the crap out of fish, dude. A lot of stripers, obviously. And smallmouth. Powell's, Powell's an underrated lake, I feel like. I agree. Yeah, and it, pro- it produces big numbers. Um, I don't know if it still stands, but for quite a while they had a 20 fish limit on the smallmouth for a good <laughs> reason. Dude. But they want to clear them out because there were just too many fish in there um, and they're trying to get them to grow bigger. So I, I'm, I don't know if that's, don't quote me on that limit still, but at one point it was that way. So, and my era was too. And it, dude, that lake is so funny. You know, it's like, it's just, a lot of the lake is just like crystal clear and deep. So as soon as anything brown underwater shows up, like a boulder or like a little shallow spot, dude, instantly casting to that, you'd catch like the, a tiny small mouth. And then another cast and a tiny, I mean, every little piece of cover in that lake was just freaking a nursery for small mouth. How, uh, how frustrating is it to catch a six inch small mouth with a drop shot? And uh, then watch what it does to your drop shot rig. Good practice. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> every time dude yep. dude little fish just wreak havoc on you they're always the ones that hook you right like if you catch a small fish on a jerk bait you're gonna get freaking hooked by the jerk bait they destroy your drop shots these little little bastards oh yeah they're brutal but uh yeah those are good ones man and the parker we're gonna completely blow up parker because i agree with that dude it's it's so awesome it's it's cool because you can really go target them and you'll catch big ones but like like Havasu is awesome, and it was probably the my first instinct would say Havasu because it's got big ones and it's got it's got a lot of them, but they're still a big mix. I mean, I'd say they're there's probably 50, 50 or maybe even maybe there's even more largemouth in Havasu than smallmouth. I would say probably, but uh, Parker, it's like ninety percent smallmouth. That's what's kind of cool about it. But uh, yeah, they're really hard to target at Roosevelt. Uh, Mojave is one that's incredible, incredible, um, but I have not spent time there, so I, I can't speak. But all my buddies that have been going, and, and I mean, that Mojave probably has the biggest smallmouth in the state. They're just, it's just the same thing. It's a long trip. It's a big lake, and uh, they don't have any tournaments there. So that's, you know, my shallow tournament fishing uh, 
personality. I never go anywhere unless there are tournaments there. Uh, that what? led me to not go to Mojave. So what town is next to Mojave? I know we're kind of going down a local Bullhead, rabbit hole here. Bullhead. What? Okay. Am I right, Josh? Is it what Bullhead is it? City? Oh yeah, Bullhead, Bullhead City. City. Yep, exactly. Yep. So uh, I've. I mean, I've fished in Arizona for 30 plus years and I've never launched a boat on Mojave. I've fished Mead a ton of times, Havasu a ton of times. And uh, it's definitely on a, it's a bucket list item for me. I'd like to go fish it. And I think we should go over there with Nick and the scoot, um, Snoopy rod. <laughs> it would be terrible for him and so much fun for us, Josh. Dude, we can stay in my dookie rig. There we go. Get that thing cleaned up. I'd love to do that. Yeah, it would be terrible, dude, because he'd have, I mean, he's finally at Lake Mojave, but he's restricted to a Snoop Dogg. Classic, wouldn't it? Dude, I don't even care. I don't even care. I tell you what, man, I'll, I'll wear a pink life jacket with my Snoopy rod. If you get me over there with a license to fish, I'm down. How's the AC in the in the new rig? Is it? Can you sleep pretty comfortably? Adequate. It's very good, man. Yeah, I had a couple of nights... Um, and some real, I had two nights and both times I didn't land in like where I would have selected as far as safety is concerned, but, uh, I was sleeping fine due to the AC. I was not sleeping fine due to the fact that I thought I might end up on a milk carton somewhere. Nice. Nice. So, yeah, so well, it's let's, good. Uh, let's call that as soon as you start heading South, let us know after your family trip and we need to do the Mojave. And I, we owe everyone me looking ridiculous with a Snoopy rod. I haven't forgot, yeah. so I'm down. We may let you fish half the second half of the day with a regular <laughs> rod. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe for good behavior, I can get out on parole. We're going to have uh, to get backups because that thing will break, dude, if he hooks up with a <laughs> small. There's no way it'll handle it. I just loosened the drag, bro. I've already learned my lesson. I just I just clowned myself on the podcast about drag control issues. I, I've learned. I'm good. Dude, he's gonna look like every he's gonna look like a non boater at a Bassmaster <laughs> Open with like six Scooby rods all tied up with different baits on them. Pink Hold on. Ones. It's too bad that we live so far away from those bigger tournaments where you you know, like those big pro ams because that would have been the ultimate punishment. To have to fish one of those as a co angler <laughs> with like ten like you could even upgrade to ugly sticks with like big yeah. chrome Debcos. And then you had to just be like completely serious about it all day and just be like, what are you, what are you talking about, dude? Like you got to fish comfortable to win. <laughs> That'd be so great. Uh, comfortable. I'd love to see if, if you could <laughs> pull something off, dude. I think you'd have a chance. I didn't catch him, but I would just love to see. And then like try and have like a hidden camera, like one of those ones on your hat, the bill of your hat, just to catch that guys or ladies at reaction all day. Be uh, be pretty good maybe we need a listener out there who lives closer to some of those to do it for us and uh, we'll send you a sticker (laughs) (laughs) i would do it that's a huge deal because we don't have stickers yet dude i might motivate us to finally make a damn sticker we've only been talking about it for four months so we're on track to make these stickers at some point but here's the best excuse ever and why have we not covid exactly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah what's funny well, is people are going to start they're going to start busting on us for not making nick do the scooby rod deal yet as we, they all should we do, not all we do is talk it. about it uh right on well we'll keep rolling through the questions uh this one actually goes ties in with that one oscar chip great listener he said have you ever fished the black river in az uh 
I have one time and a real quick funny story about the Black River. It's it's a good it's it has been a great smallmouth and trout fishery for years. Uh, it's had its up up and downs, but dude, my one experience with the Black River. This is I don't know. I was probably 21, 22 years old and went with a little group of guys. We were all you know hardcore bass anglers. Uh, we were a handful of us were guides, a couple other tournament guys, but one guy swore he knew his way around the Black River. <laughs> so well it's like i've been coming up here for 20 years i know all these places you know we could go way up here and catch big trout or we could catch smallmouth here long story short dude we he's got this big lifted oh no he doesn't my my other buddy justin is driving and justin is just going where this guy tells him to go he's like you know navigating for him but justin's got this big lifted gas truck that gets terrible mileage and had a tiny gas tank and uh we gas up at our last place we can up on the, uh, you know, up near Globe. And, and it's super uh, remote. Dude, it's, it's so remote. There's like no cell phone service. <laughs> gas It's way up in the middle of the Indian reservation. And, uh, dude, we are completely lost out of our mind. We are lost. It's, it's late at night driving in, and we're down to three-eighths of a tank of gas. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I'm like, this doesn't. We can't get out. We have to turn around, but we don't know how to even turn around. So we're like, oh, the guy that, that knows this place, like the back of his hand, supposedly, is like, oh, no, I know it's this way. It's right, <laughs> this right around this corner, right? The old <laughs> classic, <laughs> one more corner. <laughs> get out of the truck, dude, and, like, there's truck, there's tire tracks, and there are tire tracks. We had already been down all the same stuff. Oh. <laughs> Ended up just stopping and sleeping in the truck right there. And uh, we figured it out a little bit more in the daytime and somehow made it out of there uh, <laughs> driving slowly. But I remember being so freaked out that we were had gone past a half tank already and we still didn't know where we were. Dude, and it is like it, that is some of the remote most remote country in Arizona it has to be right, Rob. I know you have hunted in, in all of the little dark armpits of Arizona, but that is a really remote area. The one time I went there, too, we had the same gas fears and uh caught fish but it almost wasn't fun because i thought we were going to have to walk and like i don't know like smoke peyote to find our way out yeah i've never been there um i've always wanted to go to the black river just never have done it so right on it's a good fishery it's a really cool spot uh, but you just you got to know what you're doing and where you're going uh for sure and it's it, it, you're talking about how remote it is nick uh you'll never see so many bears in your life like yeah so many black bears and i guess that's a sign of how how few people are there the bears are <laughs> the bears are everywhere it's crazy and yeah, they're not lost right no no they're not um okay that- one little tiny rabbit hole on that one and then we'll go away from it but uh, what's the name of that little tiny lake it's not san carlos it's like talaki takali bali or something apparently that thing is just bananas this year i don't know if it's always that good has any have either of you guys ever fished there i have not no i haven't either i've, I've got some buddies that have gone and caught giants but it's cool to hear it's actually pumping them out this year man that is uh it's it's a gnarly little place from what i've heard yeah i've heard it's just like snakier than snaky and there's a the, apparently it's a, just not a super safe place to fish all the time, and I think maybe even need some special permission. But uh, it'd be a fun place to go catch a ten pounder. Yeah, if you went in the spring, I think your chances would be probably better there than anywhere else in the state. 
Yeah. Someone pissed off at us for blowing that up right now, but um, it's so hard to get to anyways. I mean, and I think you need a special permission. I could be wrong, but I don't think it's just like pull up at the spot and go do your thing. Yeah. 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 That's probably the truth, man. Um, right on. All right, next question. Give it to us. So yeah, we got uh, five, 10 minutes left. We got just a couple more questions. So it's going to work out perfectly. Uh, I wrote, and this is my handwriting. I wrote these things down. So, okay, so you can read it really well. Yeah, see, uh, see, Salmons, or uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting your name wrong, man. I'm sorry, it's my handwriting. Uh, why are southern smallmouth smallmouth more pelagic than northern smallmouth? Is it a population thing? Is it a forage thing, or a completely different fish? We talked about this a little earlier, where we we really think they're kind of different types of fish, and the forage is is for sure, man. But dude, I keep. I have a hard time saying that northern smallmouth aren't pelagic either because I think smallmouth are just pelagic compared to largemouth to begin with. They're not pelagic compared to lake trout, but they're they're pelagic compared to a largemouth. And even up north, man, you know, you get on the Great Lakes and the wind changes direction and you've got, I mean, dude, I've seen it a million times where you've got a place where you can catch a four-pounder on every drop and then you come back the next day and there's not a fish within two miles. Uh, So I think that's a smallmouth thing all the way around. Do you guys agree? Yeah, Boy, I, 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 I think so. Yeah, and I, I haven't fished for them up north a whole lot, so, but yeah, I think I think you're spot on, Josh. The only place they're not pelagic is rivers, you know? If it's a lake, yep. those smallmouth are bound. You know, when we see it on Lake Mead all the time too, man, like, you know, those smallmouth will, they'll literally at times act completely like a striper. They will follow schools of shad around swim in open water and you'll you'll catch a four pounder out of a boil and uh you go back the next day and and everything's gone they're completely gone so i think they're just pelagic fish to begin with and that's part of the challenge that's part of why you love them so much man because it, it they'll frustrate you and make you pull your hair out but if they were just easy to catch all the time like perch it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't you be move on yep no doubt okay a a ron toddy uh Again, sorry if I messed up your name. Um, Hold on, did you sound it? Remember in uh, um, Key and Peel when he's a substitute teacher and he can't pronounce anyone's name? Says A A Ron instead of Aaron. Where are you going? Maybe he's A A Ron. A A Ron. I think that his name is Aaron, so that's perfect, dude. He's A A Ron. <laughs> uh, when on big water, when on a big water smallmouth fishery, what drop shot range do you use, and how do you decide what weight to use? It's funny, uh, I'll go a lot heavier on these smallmouth than I do for largemouth. Like, do you guys agree that the ultimate sizes for largemouth are three sixteenths and one quarter? Yeah, we, yeah. one quarter is 99% of the time I use one quarter, so. Cool, right on. So when I smallmouth fish, I start at a quarter and go up. And I've gone up to a five-eighths before, uh, but three-eighths, I personally like to go as light as I can get away with, which in a lot of cases on Great Lakes, or rivers with a lot of current, it's three-eighths. That's that's light up there. Uh, and I'll start with it. And I'll go to a half if the wind just becomes too much and I just can't handle it. So, uh, uh, What do you like about it being the lightest weight possible? Let's talk about that. I think they these fish are such sight feeders. It gives them a little more time to see it on the fall. Okay. So smallmouth is swimming around or suspended eight feet up off the bottom, and there's a drop shot falling and it falls for an extra two or three seconds because it's a three ace out that's just a little more time that fish has to see it do you okay. about that do you agree 
Yes. That one, the lighter weight. Yeah, and it's the same way for largemouth, too. Um, but sometimes you just have to. And I, I've talked to a couple guys that say, hey, they like the reaction of a half ounce. And, and these fish are keen. They can still see that half ounce falling. But I like to give them as much chance as possible to see it on the fall because you'll get more bites as soon as that official see your drop shot falling and your weight will hit the bottom and you'll get a bite. That happens more often than any other type of bite drop shotting. So mm. I like for them to be able to see it that way. Mm-hmm. That's a good one on, on uh, why lighter is better, in my opinion. Uh, okay, a couple more questions. There was one really good. Oh, yeah. Here's one. And this is a tough question, but I thought it was a good question. Uh, when drifting for smallmouth, how long do you drift before you decide that your drift is not productive? Um mm. So that's the magic question, right? Like how many times have you guys had people ask you, like, how do you know when it's time to go to another spot? Or how long do you fish a certain bait until it's time to change? And there's no magic answer for that. Um, for me, if I'm in a river, I'm drifting what the, I'm drifting a certain type, piece of structure, most likely. So it's not like I'll never like randomly drift in a river for like a mile. I'm going to drift a reef. I'm going to drift a, a series of points. I'm going to drift whatever specific structure it is. So if I make a drift through the entire structure and I don't get bit, but I'm seeing fish, I may try it again and try to do it at a different angle or with a different bait. But if I'm not even seeing any fish and make a whole drift and I don't even see fish, I'm out. Um, I think the the seeing the fish is really critical. And I'm talking like seeing them on your electronics. Of course, if you're mm-hmm. getting you stick around too, but... Uh, there's got to be that life there. And uh, on lakes, it's like like St. Clair is like the ultimate drifting lake when it's windy. That one's weird, man, because um, there's like there's no contour. It's all just flat. And the fish will be in areas because the grass is a little bit different. There's bait in an area compared to another area. There's current uh, coming out of one of the rivers or something like that. But uh, maybe it's more on time than, than distance. Like if I spend... I don't know, 15 minutes in an area, sometimes even 10 minutes. I mean, if, if you're around them, they're going to tell you. They are, they're, when you get around them, there's a lot of them. So if I fish for 10 or 15 minutes on on St. Clair without getting a bite, I'm cranking up the motor and going a mile this way, a mile that way, or a half mile or something. But um, And again, what are you seeing? Are you seeing signs? Are you seeing bait fish? Does the grass look good? Does the rock look good? Uh, if that, if that all looks good, then you might stick around a little longer, but if, uh, generally 10 or 15 minutes on those lakes. Hey, Josh, I have a question off of that. What has Spotlock done to fishing a lake like St. Clair? Like are guys locking up on spots and fishing around the boat more versus drifting, or are they still doing a lot of drifting? That's a good question, man. You know, what's funny is I don't think I've even been on St. Clair since bass fishermen started using our technology it's been three years so i fished it a handful of times but it's been three years and that's really when this came out right so i would imagine it's really useful uh but i I don't know i I guess i haven't seen it come into effect uh, myself but that is it's it's great dude when you can when you know that you're in a really sweet area um you can throw that thing in position and and fan cast and make sure and know that you hit every single inch of it before you drift a little further yeah yeah it's, uh, that's it's dude it's it's changed a lot of structure fishing in general. um right on well hey that's the last question cool pretty darn good 
Yeah, thank you we guys. Should, uh, sure. We should remind the listeners that get a chance to get a question into us already. You know, send some more questions. We're, we'll answer them at any time. Yeah, to the best of our ability. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be about this. Like, we if you have more smallmouth fishing stuff, that's cool. But hey, if you want to ask Rob a hunting question or Nick a question about RVs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> how to get poop on your hands in an RV? I would just say we. I, I think Rob is just dancing around the border of the issue. What really needs to, people who need to know things need to direct their questions to me. If they want like politically yeah. correct half speak, <laughs> ask Rob or Josh. But if you really want to drill down on the ins and outs of important stuff, just holler at me. He will answer it with full honesty. That is <laughs> no matter full what. Full blown ignorance. Dude, I have I have a comment about the tournament, Josh, that you just came from. Uh, first of all, uh, congratulations to Justin Lucas, and second of all to Justin. Um, he got done fishing the tournament and said it was such a grind. Come on, man. How many smallmouth do you have to catch? And it's it's not a grind when you... 435 you, fish later. Exactly. So right. we'll have to bust on him a little bit next time he comes on the podcast. But okay. congratulations to him. Dude. Yeah, that just goes to show how overused that word is. Like, it's just like, uh, it's always tough. Like, you know, you, you, you talk to the same guys every single tournament and it's like, how is it out there? Pretty tough, bro. Pretty tough, man. <laughs> Can't wait to see it when it's good for them, right? It's nothing against Justin. I know you're just having a hard time with it, but it's funny how overused some of these words are. Even when you uh, win the entire tournament and catch a billion giants. It's tough. Grind. It's so funny, though. Dude. It's just like, I mean, whatever. That's I had to bust on him a little bit about that, but uh, he did a great job and caught a bazillion fish, so pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Hey, one thing that popped my head in the very, very, very beginning when Rob was talking about stripers, I saw someone say this and I've, I'd never heard it. Have you guys ever heard anyone call him a tuxedo bass? I thought that's pretty good. I think it is good. I just, where did I hear that? Someone just said that not too long ago. But Well, I just said it. I know, but <laughs> other than you. Oh, okay. That's what, dude, Striper is not as cool. I, I think from now on, they're like tuxedo t-shirt bass. That's what's missing. It's a tuxedo t-shirt bass. Yep, yep. They like to party, but they also like to look good. They call them rock oh, yeah. back east, dude. If you what do they call them? things in the ocean, they call them rockfish. Rockfish. Ah. It's, that's just, and that's ironic because it's like the most pelagic fish of all time, like unrelated to rock. So that's kind of like that Greenland, Iceland thing. Isn't Iceland like really lush and green and Greenland like the freaking Antarctic of the north? Yeah. So Josh, you're in town for a week or so and then off to lacrosse? Yep, exactly. We've got uh ML or uh, FLW Super Tournament coming up at lacrosse and uh season's slowly starting to wind down. I mean we'll have stuff coming throughout the whole fall tournament wise, but uh it's you know this we it slowed down obviously with COVID and then it ramped back up like crazy and uh, then we'll we'll all be back in Arizona uh you know fishing together doing what we normally do so I'm looking forward to that um yeah you said you got a busy week of guiding coming up Nick's yep. gonna be getting ready to go up north so uh, we got a lot of stuff moving and shaking here but uh we'll make sure we don't miss any weeks if uh if 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 we're able to do so and um, yeah keep keep all the uh the good questions coming guys and. Um, we'll also try to get it maybe a, a guest on next week. We got a couple of guys we've been talking to that would be great. So, anything else from you guys before we uh, wrap this thing up? I've got nothing. 
Yeah, man. I, I think, like I said, just thanks everyone that's listening. And uh, we always appreciate the feedback, man. So, so ask us questions, hit us up on iTunes or wherever you can leave a review. And uh, we appreciate you. Yeah. Five star reviews all day. Yeah. Only five. If it's, if it's four, yeah, get it out of here. <laughs> block you. Yeah, that's right. You get blocked. We're going to prevent you from downloading it. <laughs> uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast guys had a great time answering your questions and uh, we'll probably do something like this uh similar to this in the future hope you guys have a great week and we'll be back at you next week thanks